Almighty God, Father, we thank you. Lord, we love you. We need you more than ever. Lord, I thank you for your presence. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Whether it's a miracle that just seems beyond anything that we could hope or imagine, whether it's a sunburn, whatever it is, Lord, you are there to answer prayer. You care about everything. Just as Kelly said, you care about the smallest thing that we face. And we thank you for that. You are the Father. You are our Father. You are our role model. And we focus upon you that whatever our need, you're there to meet that need. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory in the precious, precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for all that he's done and given for us. Let's make our confessions. Good for see all of you here on this Father's Day. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. I have the victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Can you say amen? You can all be seated. Good to have you in the house of the Lord. Thank God for each and every one of you dads that are here. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. You know, every Father's Day, uh, I hope I can say this, but I always thought about getting a guest speaker in here because I know what the Word of God says about being a good father, and I knew how I screwed up my life as a young father and how I didn't do the things that I should have done. You know, as a father... Our main job is to make sure that our children love God, that they know how much God loves them. They know the Word of God, and they know how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and when I was raising my family, I failed at every single one of those because I never even took my kids to church. How many of you know what I'm talking about as a dad? You can relate to what I, I'm saying. And So there are a lot of regrets about how I did it all wrong. And I know my kids love me, but I also know that I didn't really raise them right. So I always felt like a hypocrite on Father's Day to stand up here and tell you all how you ought to do it and realize that I still had some things that, of seeds that I've sown. And, but, you know, God is good. He restores. He forgives. And there's never a challenge with God because God loves us. We never run from God. We always run to God. So all of you dads, we're going to pray for you at the end of the service, too. But why don't you stand, all the dads that are here. And, you know, dads are a special person to God, and they are a special person to the devil. God loves them because he wants to use them to be the example of Christ in the home to raise their families. The devil's got a big target on your back because he wants to make you feel bad about yourself, and he wants to take you down the wrong road. But the word of God is truth. God will never return his word void. And that no matter whether we've messed up or whether we've done it all right, and most of us can say, I haven't done it all right, no matter what, God is going to take care of it for us. Can you say amen to that? Father, we pray for the dads. If you're here with your father or you're here with one of the family members, just stand up there and lay your hands on them. Father, we thank you for these fathers. We thank you for the tremendous responsibility it is to be a dad. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how many times they might have missed it along the way, you're always there to bring them through and to strengthen them 
It's never too late to do the right thing, and we thank you for that. We give you the praise, honor, and glory for all of them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give my hand. We thank God for all you dads. You know, uh, I had a special dad. I really did. He was a character. And uh, some of you know my dad, and, and uh, he was around here for forever, really, when he started the church. When he started the church, my dad was at First Assembly with Pastor Charles Hackett, and he loved Charles, and he was an usher out there. And the night we started the church, uh, Charles Hackett came over, and, and I, I told God, I didn't tell God, but I asked God, I said, God, we'll, we'll start the church back here in Lafayette, Indiana, if that's really your will, but I'm not going to do it unless Charles Hackett is in agreement. Uh, he was the first man of God that really I ever knew, and he was the first church I ever attended. And uh, we, I had dinner or lunch with Pastor Hackett before we started the church. He said, Bill, I think there's a place in Lafayette for a church like that. I'm totally supportive of that. Pam and I had gone out with him. And so that night, we were getting ready to start the first service, and uh, we hear this knock on the door on the lower level of the bank, that bank building that uh, uh, Sue O'Brien found for us. It was a basement, but we renamed it the lower level. And uh, so anyway, Pastor Hackett was knocking on the window, and he said, how do you get into this church? He couldn't figure out how to get in, and so he came in and prayed for us. And my dad, ever being the character that he is, sometimes my, my wife will say, you just you remind me of your dad. And I take that as a big compliment. I, now, I know she doesn't necessarily mean it that way, but I take it as a big as a compliment. And, uh, and so my dad was there, and he was working, and he said to Pastor Hackett, he said, now, I, I hope you know that, uh, you know, if it's all right, I, I'm going to go to my son's church. And uh, Charles said, oh, Mick, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yes, you go to your son's church. And he said, well, I just want to make sure that, you know, it didn't upset you because if I don't like his preaching, I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and Charles just laughed and he said, oh, Mick, I'm sure you'll like it. You'll, you'll be okay. So, but anyway, it was a, it was a great time. But you know, the fathers have so much influence, but, but this is not just a Father's Day message. This is a message for all of you. You have tremendous influence. When Dan was talking about that restaurant, uh, some of you that have been here on Wednesday nights, I've talked about this little girl that works at McDonald's, and uh, uh, I went through there one day, and, and she was really having a bad day, and I say, I could just tell by looking. How many of you realize you can just tell by a person's countenance? And you could tell she was really struggling, and I, and I said, uh, are you having a good day today? She said, no, no, it's a bad day. And I said, it's going to get a whole lot better. Jesus loves you, and I just gave her word, and I was just like, she just looked startled. And, uh, and I said, so you got a nice smile. Use it. Get a big smile on your face right now. She got a big smile on her face, and I said, and I'll be happy the rest of the day. Will you do that? Yes, I'll, I'll be happy the rest of the day. And so a couple of days later, I came through there, and she saw me, and her whole countenance changed when she saw me. It really did. And we're going to be talking about influence today and the tremendous influence that a father has. I was just by there a couple of days ago, and she was in the window. And I could tell when I came up to the window, she, wasn't, she, she didn't look happy. But as soon as she saw me, her entire countenance changed. Got a big smile on her face, started to laugh. She said, oh, it's so good to see you again. Wouldn't it be good to wake up every day and see Jesus in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit? And I know that I have influence over that girl's life. Do you know you have influence over everybody's life? Everybody's life. My dad had tremendous influence in my life. 
he, he was funny and happy all the time, and hardly anything ever bothered my dad. How many of you realize the traits of your father, whether they were good or bad, you still carry some of them along with you? A lot of people say it's because of the blood. I don't believe it's so much of the blood. I believe it's our relationship from age about zero to five and then beyond. And I believe that, that, that those things are getting in there. It's not necessarily the bloodline. I understand there is some truth to that, but it's mostly the influence that that father had. My dad would laugh about anything, but my dad had a favorite saying when things didn't go right. Now, my wife told me one day that I have to start watching my language in the pulpit up here because every <laughs> once in a while I say something I shouldn't. Well, we'll just blame it all on my dad and the Marine Corps. But, but, but anyway, my, my dad, would, would, when, when, when things weren't really going quite right, he would say, damn it, you know, not the kind that holds back the water, but just, you know, <laughs> damn it. And then every once in a while, when he felt super spiritual, he had put the, uh, God's name in the beginning of it. And, and so, so anyway, I, I, I realized that wasn't a great trait, but I grew up thinking everything was funny, everything was happy, everything was great. And I grew up when things weren't going quite right, using that little phrase my dad used when things went wrong every once in a while because he influenced me in the wrong way. But what we've got to remember is that all the good things that our fathers gave us and that the tremendous influence that we still have, that they still have in our lives, and that you as a father still have in your life. You may have situations right now, dads, where maybe some of your relationships aren't as strong as they could be with your children. In the realm of the spirit, you still have authority in that child's life. And when you pray, when you release the power of God, every single thing is going to come to pass. Can you say amen to that? So turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are a tremendous person of influence. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 29. And uh, <laughs> my, my, my wife will, will, will sometimes, we'll be going through things and and, and she is a woman of faith and a woman of God, and, and I love her. But sometimes I, I know that for her, I just seem to blow things off and just not pay attention to things that are of real concern to her. But, you know, I would rather be happy than sad. How many of you would rather be happy than sad? Can I see your hands? Let's just say, I'd rather be happy than sad any day. Well, it starts with a smile, and it starts with thinking about something that's going to make you happy. My dad would always ask me, uh, he, he would always ask me, he'd say, uh, when I do something wrong, Carter, he's not here, but that's all right. Most people in our church know it. If they don't know it, you're going to know it now. Carter, uh, we, we were able, God has really blessed us. And, and so in our blessing, we want to pass it on. And so I was given a car. My heart's desire was really to bless Carter, if we could, when he turned 16. And so somebody gave me a car, and so glory to God, I was able to give him. Uh, I, I didn't think he would ever like it, but uh, 19, what is it, 2001 Buick Park Avenue. That's a young guy's car, you know. And, and so, but, but, but Carter loved the car, and, and so he got it. Well, the other day he got distracted or something and ran it out in the cornfield. And, uh, and, and so anyway, it ends up... <laughs> I don't know that we still know the story about how it ended up in the cornfield, but that's all right. Some things are better left unsaid. First car my dad bought me was a 1946 Chevy. 
First thing I did was ran it in the, into the side of a tree. And uh, my, I'd been out with some other people doing some things we shouldn't have been doing. And uh, that's kind of the reason why I ran into the tree. And uh, so I bent the fender back out and parked the car a certain way so my dad wouldn't see it the next day. But my dad got up and saw it. And he came out and he said, what happened? I said, it must have been a hit and run. Somebody must have hit my car. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I did the only thing a young guy does at that age when you know you're going to be creamed for it. You know, you lie. And uh, now, all of you kids now, you should not be doing this, OK? You tell your parents the truth. We got kids here. And uh, so anyway. So, so my dad said, well, I'm going to call the police. And I said, oh, dad, I think it would be best if you didn't call the police. Well, I think my dad finally figured out that there's more to this story than my son is telling me, and it might be best if I didn't call the police. Well, he, he never did call the police. Well, when Carter did this, this car, uh, we were thinking, we want to help with the car and take care of it. And the first thing I did was say, he, he wrecked my car. You know, I, I've loved that car. He wrecked my car. And uh, so, you know, is it total? Well, no, it can't be total. That was my car, and it was a good car. So we're going to fix that car. So I came up with this elaborate scheme that, that Carter was going to pay back for all the expenses of the car and some other things and all. And, and, and I told my wife, and I could tell by my wife looking at me, number one, it's not my responsibility. It's his dad's responsibility. So I'm usurping his father's responsibility, and this is what we're going to do on this. And, and, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm doing it all wrong, I realized, but at the time I thought, no, this will be just exactly the thing to do. And then my wife just looked at me like, I don't really think that's right, but you do whatever you think is right. And then all of a sudden, the influence of a father came back to me. And I remember how my dad treated me. He let me off the hook. He never made it an issue. And he said to me, Bill, have you learned your lesson? Now, obviously, I hadn't because I had some serious problems after that. However, my dad always would ask me, have you learned your lesson? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, have you learned your lesson? If we learn our lesson from everything that we do wrong, then we're going to be all right. Now, I want to give you a few scriptures here. To be a man of steel and velvet or a person of steel and velvet. There's a book that was written years ago uh, talking about the influence that people have in other people's lives. And it was geared toward fathers and it was geared toward the role of a man. But I believe this is true for a man or a woman, that we are called to be steel and velvet. We're called to be full of love and compassion for people, but tough on the devil. The devil's not going to take our kids. The devil's not going to take our, the minds of our children. I got a little text message this morning from our cousin, uh, my nephew, out in uh, Tulsa, or out in uh, Denver, Colorado, doing so well now, off of drugs, working. He's got a great life ahead of him. And it was just a real encouraging thing. I found at an early time in my relationship with him, I didn't like him. Have you ever had somebody you didn't like? Can I see the hands of all the people? There's somebody you just don't like. God has probably assigned them to you. But what I found was that I had influence in this boy's life. 
Even though he didn't particularly like me, I had influence in his life, and I could tell he was open to me. Sometimes I would just as soon as smack him instead of help him, but, but it was just one of those love, it was never hate, but you know what I'm talking about, how one moment you can have so much compassion for somebody, and the next moment you just want to shake him. Well, what is the influence on your life? Carter didn't need a list of things for me. Uh, he didn't need a list of things from anybody. The influence of my father was he just took care of it and never said a word after it happened. And that was really the way I was supposed to respond in this situation. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you are a person of great influence. In Romans 8.29, it says this, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that we are to be the firstborn of that He was the firstborn among many brethren. Everybody say, "I am predestined." I am predestined. So we have pre been predestined by God to be conformed to the image of Christ in everything that we do. So therefore, He becomes a role model. He becomes a pattern for us that whatever we do, we're not going to judge people. We're going to love people right in the midst of whatever it is they're facing. And that if we'll do that, I, I saw my nephew come off of drugs. I, I know that he used other people in his life, but I believe that God assigned him to me because I had influence in his life. Many times the influence that you have in a person's life is not being, it's like it's not being received by them, but what you're doing is deeply penetrating them. I'm sure there were times my dad would shake his head at some of the things he tried to show me and tell me, but they have taken, I, I can still to this day remember things that my dad did in my life that are still a dominant influence in my life. I remember one time, and, and this applies to all of you. So all of you ladies, it applies to you too. You'll never know the power of your words. It was, uh, I was uh, in, a, in the third grade at Linwood School. And uh, Lin that school's gone now. They've torn it down and put up a new one. But I was in the third grade of Linwood School. And my dad that night was taking me to a circus. At that time, how many of you are old enough to remember the, the thrill of going to the circus with your parent? Be it the mom or dad. You know, those days are pretty much over now. Circuses are getting less and less. But back then, it was the event of, of the year if you're going to a circus. And my dad was taking me that night. And I got into a shoving match with this little guy. Uh, in my grade uh, as we're going down to the basement to the restroom and, and, and he said something to me and I said something to him and what I said to him was, I don't remember what I said to him, but it was, it was he told the teacher it was profanity and it probably was. I probably used my dad's expression uh, and told him exactly how I felt and added the Lord's name. And, uh, but anyway, regardless, the teacher called me and was, was really upset with me and said, you must tell your, your dad right after uh, school. And I thought, oh, no, I don't want to tell my dad I'm going to a circus and all. And it just bothered me so much. And I remember sitting in the circus. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, you'll never know the influence you have. <laughs> to this day, I'm a few years older than when I was in the third grade. And, uh, and to this day, I remember it exactly. Sitting there in the circus that evening, and my dad looked over at me. <laughs> Makes me cry. <laughs> but I, my dad looked over at me and said, Billy, what's wrong with you? And, and I said, nothing. He said, no, something's wrong with you. And I said, well, yeah, there is. I said, I, and I told him the story about the teacher and what I said. And he just looked at me and put his arm around me. He said, that's okay. Now, he would used that word a lot probably himself, so he really didn't care that much about that. But he put his arm around me. He said, that's okay. That's what he said. Have you learned anything? 
Have you learned anything? That was my dad all the time. Happy, joyful, have you learned anything? Let's get on with life and let's forget about the past. You know, I believe that's what God's like. I believe God wants to forget the past. A lot of times we live in a period of regret. I'll do that if I'm not careful. I can regret the times I didn't do what was right with my family instead of thinking about the times that I did do what was right. And now I'm a new man and now I'm a new creation. And now I can't change the past. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't change the past. But you can affect the future. You can affect the future. Even if you're not with the child physically, you can affect the future in the realm of the spirit. And then the word goes on when we're talking about being influencers, talking about being conformed to the image of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says that you and I are to be imitators of God as dear little children. Let's all say, I am to imitate God as a child. What does a child do? They love to imitate their dad. I heard this story years ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but this little six-year-old, I, I, I can relate back to times down in Florida especially, but this little six-year-old and, and his dad were just laying out on the beach, just looking up at the stars and all, and I can add a little to the story and say, oh, there was thunderstorms off in the distance and the waves were breaking and they were just laying there and and the little and the dad uh, looks over at the, at the child laying there and says, "says child, I just love you." I said, "Dad, I just love you too." And and the dad says, "What do you what do you really what do you want to be when you grow up?" And the little six year old says, "Well, Dad, I'm not sure. What do you want to be when you grow up?" <laughs> you know, the kids just love love being loved, and that's what we have the ability to do. And then it goes on. And kids, kids imitate. The reason the scripture says that, children want to imitate something. They want to be like something. And they love to be like their dads. And they love to be like their moms. And it was God's will that the best of both would come forth into that child. And that we would have the best of both. And, and in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, to, to all of those who were around him, and to us also... Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. In other words, we are going to imitate Jesus. How would Jesus handle somebody that wrecked a car? He would love them. He wouldn't want them to learn a lesson, but he would love them. He wouldn't want them to do it again, but he would love them. He would forgive them. He would help them. He would do whatever. If you got a suntan, he's going to help you get the suntan healed. If you got a car that's got a dented fender, he's going to help you get a car that's got a dented finger, fender. If you got a car that ends up in the cornfield, he's going to help you get it out of the cornfield, and he's not going to ask you how you got there, because he knows how Carter got in that cornfield. But it doesn't really matter how he got in the cornfield. All that matters is, I don't even know if it was a cornfield. All that matters is that we are going to imitate God as dear little children. Then the other scripture that I felt the Lord wanted us to, to share today was in 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 6, it says this, that every child of God should walk exactly as Jesus walked. In other words, what would Jesus do? What is our understanding of imitating him? How did he walk? Did he walk in forgiveness? What did he do with the woman that was caught, with the, uh, not caught? What did he do with the woman <clears throat> that had the issue of blood? He healed her. What did he do with the woman who was caught in the midst of adultery? 
he, he forgave her. He said, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. That we do not become the accuser of the brethren, our, our, our people that bring condemnation into people's life. But we're the ones that walk in love and compassion, not judging anybody. Now, the word influence, we are called to be influenced. Everybody say, I am called, I am called. to be an influencer. The word influencer means to have important effect on someone. No matter where you are, the, the, the lady that, that Dan left the, the tip for, her life will never be the same. She will never forget that situation. There are things in all of our lives that the people that influenced us have changed forever in our life. I talked to my dad one time about church. My dad never went to church. My parents never went to church. And we talked about it one time, and he gave his heart to the Lord. He, when I got saved at the, in, in Charles Hackett's office at First Assembly of God, my parents thought I got involved in a cult. And I said, well, I don't think so. I don't think it's a cult. I said, the people seem really wonderful out there. I really love them. So they came to church to rescue their son. And the first Sunday they came, they went to the altar, gave their heart to the Lord, and never left First Assembly until we started it here. And I asked Dad one time about going to church. He said, he said I went to church when I was a little boy. And I said, you did? Dad, I've never heard you talk about church. He said, well, I never got anything out of it. And I said, oh, you, but you went to church? He said, yeah. There's a guy that came down the block every year. He told me his name. I don't remember it now. He said, there's a guy that came down the block, and he'd usually come on a Friday or Saturday, and any kid that would go to church, they'd give a quarter to. And uh, he said, there's a lot of money back then, so we'd all go to church to get our quarter, and then he'd be waiting in the church and give us a quarter. He says, sometimes we'd stay, sometimes we'd sneak out, but not till we got our quarter. Well, that's how Dad got his upbringing in church. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly the greatest influence, but I guess it's better than nothing to give a kid a quarter if you're going to church or, or whatever it is. I, I used to give the kids money to read a book, but now I'm hoping they're reading on their own. But anyway, regardless, we are, let's all say it again. I'm called to be an influencer. Everywhere that you go today, if you're not pre-concerned, that's not the right word. In other words, if you're not preoccupied, thank you. If you're not preoccupied, you can be an influencer. If you're preoccupied, you walk right by the hurting people. But if you're not preoccupied, you can influence anybody. We're going to go to Little Mexico after church. Is that right? We've got my son over there waiting on us. and are going to be waiting on us. And, and, and we're going to be able to influence the people when we walk in the door. You can influence them with a smile. You can influence them with an encouraging word. Uh, you can influence them by listening. Sometimes we can be a great influencer just by listening and not talking. Our listening to what people are saying instead of thinking. Some people think at the same time they should be listening and they shouldn't be thinking. They should just be listening and entertaining what people are trying to tell you. Then the other thing is to imitate. To imitate means to follow a model or a pattern or to appear to be like. To follow a model, a pattern, or appear to be like. I, I know this sounds funny, but when I say this, and when my wife says, you remind me of, of your father, I take that as a great compliment. <laughs> I really do, because I really admire my dad and, and the joy and the happiness that he had all the time in his life. How many of you would you like to be happier than you are? 
How many would you like to have more joy manifest in your life? Jesus said, I came to give you my joy so that your joy would be full. And that no matter what we face, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to give you a couple examples, another couple of scriptures here. I'm not going to get into all the scriptures and the details, but, but uh, who was David's father? Uh, Jesse? No. Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. Okay. What we read in the Word of God, Jesse was a great influence on his son David. And David went on to be king. You know the story there. But David also came under the influence of Saul as a younger man. And Saul had a father-like influence on David. Even though David accomplished a lot, David had some serious challenges. And David ended up with some serious challenges manifesting in his life because of a bad influence. We have the ability to influence good or bad. And it's whether or not we line up with the image of God. And there were some things that weren't right that got into David. Where, where they came from, I don't know. From Scripture, they probably didn't come from Jesse. From Saul, we know that Saul was a self-centered king who only thought about himself. And David ended up in a situation, even though God's hand was upon him, and God himself said, David is a man after my own heart. But David slipped, he fell, he let lust get the best of him, he ended up complicit in murder, he ended up complicit in covering up. He would have had multiple felonies if he lived in this day and age. And it was because something got into David. And that was passed along to Saul. Saul became much like or Solomon. Uh, Solomon had many great attributes. He was a man of great wisdom because God gave him wisdom. But if you will read about the lineage of David and what happened to his children and what got into them and what happened to Solomon and what happened to his children, it was really a, a spirit that got in there that really messed up that family. And there were some bad influences that got in there. But there's good news. You can always stop that family line. Tell your neighbor, you can stop the bad stuff. And, and we do that by making sure that we're speaking the Word of God over our family, the Word of God over our children, the Word of God over our grandchildren, and that we're lining up with the things that God wants. You never know what happened in David's life to make him the way he eventually turned out. Never know what happened in Solomon's life, but it affected the children and it affected the grandchildren. I know this. I can affect my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to come, and one that's already here, without being with them in the realm of the Spirit. We have that power. Let's say, I have that power. I have that authority. And that when we walk in that, we have that influence. Now, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, this is a powerful scripture when Jesus said, Deny yourself and follow after me. Deny yourself and follow after me. What happens to many of us many times is that we live in a very dangerous world today. And I believe one of the most, uh, the, the most powerful dangers that we face today is not the devil. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not the devil. If it's not the devil, then what is the biggest challenge we face today? I believe, without a doubt, it's covered in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 16. Remember how it says, I've been young and I'm, I'm much older now? What is that song? Ray Bolt? 
Is that a rayboat song? Is that a line from a rayboat, Bill? Is, I, I, I was young, but I'm much older now. How many of you are much older now than you used to be? That would be, that would be every hand, okay? We're, we're, we're much older now than we used to be, okay? That's every hand. I have never seen the world of self so predominant in people's life. So if we say, well, okay, it's the devil. The devil is stronger now. No, the devil's not any stronger now than he used to be. And besides that, he was defeated before and he's also defeated now. But I believe this happened with David. I believe this happened with Solomon. And I believe we see it happening with a lot of our family. And we can't judge them and come down on them, but we have to stand on the word of God. And the word of God says in the book of James chapter 3, verse 16, that where there is self-seeking, there will be confusion and every evil work. David began to think more about himself than he did about God. Because when he saw Bathsheba, he entertained a thought of lust. But it wasn't the thought of lust. Anybody can entertain a thought of lust. You just get rid of it. But once you have something that comes against you, if you're a self-seeking person, you will want to fulfill that desire. Does that make sense? In other words, if you're, if you're all about self, you'll want to fulfill whatever desire you want. A desire comes your way by the devil, I want to fulfill that because I'm all about self. I want to please myself. I want to please my flesh. I want to be self-centered. When in our right mind, we wouldn't say that. But when we do that, then it says there will be confusion and every evil work. Everybody say every evil work. Can you imagine King David? taking another man's wife after all of his victories and the powerful man of God that he was, a man after God's own heart, then having her husband murdered after he couldn't get him to do what he wanted, and then attempting to cover the whole thing up and lying about it. He was not that kind of man. But because of self-seeking, thinking about himself, he did that. And the same thing happened to Solomon. How many of you know people today that the root problem to their life is they're all about themselves and they're not thinking about the things of God. They're not trying to imitate God. That's what we have to do. I believe as a young man, when I raised my family, I had a lot of self, a lot of self. I still have to fight self, things that I want to be my way. It's not our way, it's his way. And when we get to the point where we want it to be his way, then we enter into a new realm of being the influencer that God wants us to be. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we're going to close with this scripture. And I, I hadn't thought much about this scripture until God showed it to me. And, uh, and the way he showed it to me was I was surfing through the Internet of all places, and I was looking for something for the fathers. And uh, I came upon this, this uh, cup that was available, this coffee cup. And it's such a powerful scripture. It says, God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And when I saw this coffee cup, it, it, really, it really touched my heart. Justice, kindness, and humility, it's a guy thing. And, uh, you know, it's so powerful. It's a guy thing. Now, unfortunately, 
we don't have enough cups for all the men that are here, but we have enough cups for all the fathers that are here. And so there are going to be some ladies back there handing these out to you. I was just going to give you a coffee cup, but Heather intervened and said, don't you think it would be good if we filled it with some nourishment chocolate? So, so thanks to Heather, not only do you have a coffee cup that says on there, Micah 6.8, and talks about justice, kindness, and humility. It's a guy thing, but you also have some chocolate in here. But this is what I want to leave you with, and this is what I want to pray, and I hope it's not just for me. But in my life, there are, there's a lot of regret. And it seems like maybe it's because of the, the church we are, of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We have a lot of people in our church that have come from different areas of background and different situations and circumstances. But you cannot live your life in regret. You have to live it to the future. You have to live it with all of the wonderful things that God has ahead of you. You cannot change the future. Tell your neighbor, you, um, excuse me, you can't change the past. Tell your neighbor, you can't change the past. Whatever happened, happened. It's covered by the blood. God did not want me to get a divorce when my children were younger. I know that now. I know how horrible divorce is. I know Pam feels the same way. But we, 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 we went a direction that you know, none of us wanted to go. But we went a direction that we did. We can't do anything about that. We can't do anything about situations and circumstances that exist because of decisions that were made. But all you can do is get your eyes on the future and say, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to imitate to the best of my ability. I'm going to imitate your son. I'm going to be like your son. I'm going to do and imitate you and everything like a dear little child would do. And I'm not going to regret the things and decisions that I've made that I've, I've made wrong. I'm going to let you use those to strengthen me. I love the scripture, Romans 8:28. God will turn everything around and use it for good to those who love God and are called according to your, his purpose. Let's stand to our feet. Today is a day when we can make a decision if we already have it to be that influencer everywhere that we go. I, I, I know that Dan is busy in the business world and everything going on in his life and raising four children and he and Kelly and all. And You know, you could walk into a restaurant and you could be so preoccupied with everything that's going on that you've got you've to just focus on this thing right here. But God wants the focus to be upon the waiters or the waiter. God wants the focus to be on the person that you're going to talk to. God wants to be on the person who seems to be bringing challenge into your life and they're doing things wrong. God wants the focus to be on them. You all know the story of David Wilson, the guy that came out of the woods behind Walmart and, and just came up to my car. And I was focused upon something else. I was focused upon something that was a good thing. But God wanted me to change my focus and focus upon David because David needed my influence in his life. And now David has got an apartment in Lafayette. He's no longer on the streets. We're working with the legal system. We need to give the Lord a hand. It is absolutely going great. Now, I don't say this because me being involved, but it's a great lesson. I did not want to take the time with this homeless man, you know, Anybody can get a, how many of you ever heard that anybody can get a job in Lafayette? No need to be holding and move on by. Instead of thinking, God wants me to touch this guy. 
God wants me to intervene in this man's life. And we're watching his life be changed by God, but he's using a vessel to do it. God wants to use you. And I want to pray before we leave. I don't think I'm alone in the situation of having a lot of regret. And there are times when I can uh, be listening to a song on the radio. Uh, I love music, I love music. And I can be listening to a song on the radio or on Sirius radio or something, and in a moment's time, it can take me to a memory of regret, of a time period where something that I had done that wasn't quite right or I just really regretted how it happened. You can't live your life in regrets. It'll lock you up and it'll eventually torment you. I know what all that's like. You have to give it all up to God. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I want to ask you this question for everyone, but especially for you fathers, especially for you fathers. How many of you would say, you have areas in your life where there are really deep regrets. Can I see your hands? Just going to have to lift them up. Keep them up high there. Father, you see those hands. I pray that today, in the name of Jesus, you will break every regret. My hand is raised also. You will break that regret off of Instead of living a life of regret, we're going to press forth and live a life of influence, a life of imitating you, a life of becoming all that you would call us to be. In Jesus' name, all of us with our hands lifted. I want, to, I want all of us to make this, this confession right now. Lord, forgive me for the times I've lived with regret. I know it can be a preoccupation, but the desire of my heart is to imitate Jesus, to imitate you. I know I can do it because your word is true. And I declare today that I am going to become a person of influence. Everywhere that I go, no regret, but imitating you sharing the love of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for every person here today. I pray that if there's one person that has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today that have never accepted you, or maybe, maybe they have accepted you, but they're like a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. They've walked away from the things that you have for them. I pray this would be a day when they would come back. If you're here and you say, Pastor, you've described me. I know my life is not right. I know my life is not right. And I want to come back to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just a second. Looks like everybody's a believer here. Don't see any hands raised. Now, before we leave, we're going to make this confession. And I believe this is the will of God for each and every one of us. No more regret. No more looking back. 
I'm looking forward. God, you want me to go from glory to glory? You want me to touch people along the way? I'm going to get rid of every care. I'm going to focus upon you. So let's all say, Lord, today I answer the call to be all that you've called me to be. To imitate Jesus, to imitate you, and to be conformed to his image. I can be a great person of influence everywhere that I go because you go with me. How many of you believe that's the will of God? Let's give the Lord a hand.